As we are continuing our sermon series this morning, we are talking about the sweet life, the fruits of the Spirit as as enumerated by the Apostle Paul in his letters to the churches of Galatia. Do you remember what those are? Let's, let's read those together really quickly. If you could put those up on the wall there. The fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, two weeks ago, Pastor Stephen lifted up the levity of kindness and encouraged us to lighten each other's burdens as Christ lightens our own. And last week, Pastor Emily showed us the connection between generosity and goodness in the example of the life and ministry of Jesus, our good shepherd. Well, this week we focus on faithfulness. Did you know that the word faithfulness, the root of that word, is the same root as the Hebrew word for amen? When we say amen, we are saying both we believe we have faith, and may it be so. May we do what we said we would do. So with this in mind, let us start with a word of prayer. Will you please pray with me? God of abundance, open our ears that we may hear, open our minds that we may know, and open our hearts that we may be moved by your Holy Spirit, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, maybe because it's a little, I'm a little wistful with Rachel being away this week with the kids in Kansas, or maybe it's because last month we celebrated our 20th year wedding anniversary. But when I think about faithfulness, I can't help but think about Rachel and the joyous life that we continue to share together. Rachel and I have been together for nearly three decades. Back, back in the day when we met, I was a hipster in Chicago. She was in an art collective. My hair was down to here. We fell in love really quickly, but we were coy and we took our time and dated for nine years before we got married. Well, we found ourselves as the proprietors of the Prairie Fire Inn and Spa in Strong City, Kansas, 10 years later offering affordable family lodging and rejuvenating spa treatments in the heart of the Kansas Flint Hills. And at that time, we also had two amazing kids. Well, little did I know that 20 years after that, or nearly 20 years at least, I'd be here in Austin sharing the good news with you today. And I'm so grateful to be here, and I'm so grateful for that life that I'm able to share with her, that faithful life of love. And as I was reminiscing about our wedding, I was thinking about the vows that we exchanged. Now, how many of you married folk remember the vows that you exchanged on your wedding day? Let's see some brave hands. A few? Mostly the women. Oh, let's see a couple guys. Good for you. Well, you're a better man than I am. I will confess, I couldn't remember. I really couldn't remember. Is that terrible? I mean, I know the words were meaningful, and I know that it was so important to say them in front of family and friends, and that these words were an affirmation 
of our future together and that they were an affirmation of our love and our promise to grow that love. But I confess that over time as we lived into these words, these professions of love, these promises of caring, the words themselves became imbued in this intertwining of our lives and somehow I forgot what they were even as they took root in my life. I know that this is not always the case for everyone. And I have many friends that are no longer with their first or maybe even their second spouse. And I I don't want you to hear me saying that being faithful is about marriage. My hope this morning is that marriage might be a metaphor for our understanding of the faithfulness as fruit of the Spirit. You see, the vows that we exchanged 20 years ago were a promise and a hope for the future, an affirmation of our faith, but it was our life together, the good and the bad, the joy and the tears. It was going through those seasons of life together that made us faithful. For some of you Bible nerds out there, you might know that in the King James Version, that passage in Galatians that we all read, it says faith instead of faithfulness. You see, the Greek word for faith and faithfulness is pistis. And the New Testament is used for faith, faithfulness, and also trustworthiness. You see, They were two sides of that same coin. You simply could not separate faith from faithfulness. Faith is the belief and trust and the implied implied actions to follow. In other words, faith is not just a thing you say. Faith is a thing that you do. As the Apostle James explains, faith without works is dead. Or, as my Saint Johnny Cash might say, because you're mine, I walk the line. You see, faith and faithfulness are two sides of that same coin. And with this in mind, I invite you to listen again to the parable that Jesus told his disciples. It's recounted in the communities of both Matthew and Luke and is situated among several parables that are describing the coming kingdom of God. The the parable speaks to a people who are waiting for the return of Jesus and wondering how they can wait faithfully as Christ's disciples. So hear now the parable of the talents as told in Matthew's gospel. The Greek is translated into English this way. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. At once, the one who had received the five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you? that I reap where I do not sow and I gather where I do not scatter, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers on my return. I would have at least received what is mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten. For to all those who have more will be given and they will have an abundance. But to those that have nothing, even what they have, will be taken away. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. For all those who have, more will be given, and they will have abundance. But for those that have nothing, even that will be taken away. (laughs) Wait, what? I mean, that's not the Jesus that I remember back a couple chapters ago in Matthew who says, the least will be first, and the first shall be last, back in the parable of the vineyard. The parable of the talents is not about justice. It's not about judgment. It's, about, it's not about who is in and who is out. That's a story and a parable for a different day, and I'll spoil it for you. I think we're all in. The parable of the talents is about faith, and it's a call to share our gifts faith fully with the world. In the parable, the master, Jesus, bestows upon the servants an extravagant treasure. A talent is worth more than 6,000 denarii. A denarius is about a day's worth of work. So a talent was a lifetime's worth of work. And Matthew tells us that each servant was given according to his ability, unlike the gospel of Luke's version. So perhaps it's understandable, you know, that the one that's given the least, the least talented, if you will, would bury his treasure because this was a common practice back in the day to keep one's treasure safe from thieves. I think the third servant lacks faith, both in the character of his master and in his own ability. You see, he believes the master to be a harsh man even after receiving such an abundant gift. 
He lacks faith in his own ability, even after acknowledging the abundance of its master reaping where he does not sow and gathering where he does not scatter. This lack of faith causes him to bury his gifts, keeping them hidden and safe. And it makes me wonder if there are gifts of the Spirit that are buried in our lives, shoved down by guilt or fear or pain. Are there gifts that we hoard stockpiling for a rainy day? Are there gifts that we hide for fear of rejection, disgrace, or failure? I wonder if there are gifts that the church buries. You see, the servant's lack of faith prevents him from knowing his master, from participating in the abundance of the gifts from his master, from investing and sharing in that extravagant gift with the world. Because he thinks his master is harsh, so he cannot take joy in the presence of that master. Likewise, I think if our faith is limited to just our confessions and our affirmations of faith and not put into action and embodied in our lives, in the lives of our families, and the life of this church, that we too will miss the opportunity to be in the joy of our master's presence. Our master is inviting his servants to share in this joy, sharing the gifts with which they were entrusted. The summons is not so much an invitation as really an affirmation of the relationship that already exists between the master and his servant, a relationship that's not known by that third servant. Friends, Jesus is not a harsh master. As Pastor Pastor Stephen reminded us, Jesus' yoke is light and we find rest in him. Jesus does not punish us. As Pastor Emily reminded us, Jesus is the good shepherd who tells his friends in John's gospel that God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through the Son. This is the extravagant gift that Christ, our master, brought into the world and that has been bestowed in each of our lives, the gift of knowing that deep, deep love and faithfulness that could not be overcome by the empire's cross or death's dark tomb. Can I get an amen, you all? Well, if you're wondering, I did find those vows, those wedding vows. They were very simple. They were very beautiful. And they were already kind of etched in my heart, even if I didn't remember the words. And I suspect for many of us, our faith's lives are kind of the same way. While some of us have come from different traditions and different expressions of faith, what is etched in our hearts is the love of God, that love freely given to us so that we might love one another. Friends, our faith is founded on God's faithfulness. When we live into this faith, we enter into the joy of our master. And we become faith-filled people bearing the fruit 
of faithfulness. And we have so many opportunities to do that here at Westlake Hills Presbyterian. We have opportunities for mission and faith formation, for fellowship and study, for sharing and caring as we live out our lives together in faith, welcoming everybody into God's larger story as we follow Christ together. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to go to the website and find one thing that can deepen that relationship, that can help share and cultivate the fruit of faithfulness, to share that fruit in the world and to experience the joy of the presence of being in your master. (coughs) Our faithfulness, our faith-filledness, I should say, is the fruit of sharing our gifts, for in doing so, we share that joy of our master. As faith-filled people, we are called to live into God's abundance with the trust that our master reaps where he does not sow and gathers where he does not scatter. And in doing so, we take part in God's abundance. As faith-filled, faithful people, we are called to live into God's love for all of creation that God called good. And in doing so, our connection to creation and our creator is deepened. As faith-filled, faithful people, we are called into our lives to be the the people that God uniquely called us to be and called it very good. And in doing so, we see the face of Christ in those that we lift up. As faith-filled people, we are called to work together united in Christ to reveal God's love and compassion in and for the world. And in doing so, God's love and compassion is revealed to us. Our master is continually coaxing us to share in the joy of his presence. May it be so in your lives, in the lives of your family, in the life of this congregation, and in the life of his church.